Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. And I'm delighted to welcome you to our 300th episode. The podcast started in January 2015, and we have not missed a week since then. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing it with others. The purpose of this podcast has not changed. It's to better equip product managers and leaders for more success, success for themselves in the organizations and with customers. Some everyday innovators have shared how listening has helped them. That includes doubling their salary, finding a new job after not interviewing for many years, moving to a different industry, gaining a better appreciation of customers, and much more. To mark the 300th episode, I asked past guest Steve Johnson to join me for a completely unscripted, off-the-cuff discussion. We had no specific topic or questions in mind, and the result is a free-flowing discussion about changes with product management that we are seeing and changes that we would like to make in organizations. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did making it. Also, remember, if you do hear something you want to go back to, we write a detailed summary of all that we talk about. We also write an action guide for you. That, that's a one-page PDF to help you take some of the key concepts that you hear and put them into action right away. Both of those resources are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 300. They're there for you to download. Hope you go check it out. Now, on to this free-flowing discussion. Steve, thanks so much for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast. This is our 300th episode, and I thought you've been on the podcast a few times, but we always have these very good discussions, and most of the time when you and I are just talking, we, we tell each other, gosh, we should have been recording this. This, this would have been, been helpful. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do for this episode. So th- this go. is uh, completely unscripted. I did my very best to resist even letting my brain think about questions that we might ask each other. So we can just kind of see where this goes. But we're talking to product managers on the topics of product management, innovation, leadership, whatever that happens to be. So how are you doing? Fair enough. I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So before you did your intro there, we were just getting ready to talk about, you know, the state of the business. This has been an interesting year for business. Mm. And um, at the beginning of the year, it was just like everybody was in a panic. And I, I think many people still are. And, you know, I can't even fathom going to an airport or going to a public outing for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I've really been in my cage as much as, as anybody has, I suppose. But in the last couple of months, I've started getting calls again from people saying, you know what, we've, we've kind of figured out that this is not going away soon. Mm. And, you know, I I hear we've decided we really need a product management function in our organization. I'm seeing a lot of folks that were formerly like IT oriented that are saying, you know, we we realize now that project management needs to be changed over to product management. Maybe it's not changed, but. The, the thing with projects is projects finish. You know, if you build a bridge, you build a bridge and you're done building the bridge. Nobody says, hey, can I have an enhancement request to the bridge? <laughs> Although, you know, there is, you know, maintenance, I suppose. But it's a little paint uh, every now and then. 
Yeah, but in the case of software or a software implementation, you know, once you get done with the initial implementation, there's 50 or 100 or 1,000 enhanced requests, even if you're using a third-party product. You know, I mm-hmm. need this report or this, this group of people needs to be added to the distribution. So my IT friends are saying, you know, we're kind of embracing this whole product management as a repeatable function, a, a systematic function to managing things across the life cycle. Yeah. The other thing I'm getting is a lot of people who are saying, you know, it, as I said, you know, it's, this isn't going away anytime soon. So we really need to optimize our team. And one of the words that keeps coming up hmm. that I really kind of like in a kind of a dark sort of way is chaos. You know, de- development has gone agile, which seems to be generally good for most organizations. Mm-hmm. And yet it's caused chaos in product management. Hmm. And, you know, I want to talk some while we're together about these, what I'm seeing as shifts in roles, right? But it's amazing when I talk to people, I had a couple of interviews yesterday, and they were like, you know, we don't really know what artifacts we need to get from here to there. Okay. Right? So they're talking to me about, you know, how do we put together a process that's right-sized for our business? You know, some of the things that they've seen and Large companies seem to really embrace safe, for instance. Mm-hmm. Small companies really seem to embrace scrum, and, and that's great, but that's within development. What about the stuff that's before and after, right. like customer discovery and understanding what markets you want to serve and you know some of the more traditional product management stuff? And, and so most of my conversations are around that. Like they always say, you know, we, we don't, none of my, well, this is a fairly common theme. None of my product managers have any formal training. Mm-hmm. And what they do have is a hodgepodge. You know, I read this article, I watched this YouTube, I did a, a, a webinar, and, and, I've, and the, the team has a whole bunch of different ideas of what product management is and what the artifacts should be. And it's hugely confusing to the leadership team when a product man- when three product managers come to a board meeting with three different roadmaps written in three different programs. You know, I prefer PowerPoint, you prefer Excel, the other person prefers, you know, ProdPad or, right. you know, one of the other tool, great tools that are out there. And the executives are like, you know, it takes me 10 minutes just to figure out what I'm looking at. Right. Yeah. And so, so chaos seems to be a word that really hmm. resonates with people. Okay, so a lot of things that I want to pick up on. One, <laughs> I've also have found this, regardless of the pandemic issues, the shift in people in IT, people developing products internally, mm-hmm. thinking much more in terms of, of product and not just, you know, here, here's an app that we need to throw over the wall and, you know, someone sure. will figure out how to maintain it. That's been an interesting shift because some of my background was in IT groups way back when. And we, we did not think in terms of product and really at that point and the product management concepts. And the number of companies that have been talking about the the applications, the systems that we develop internally being products for our customers and needing a product management approach for that, that's been really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. The, the Scrum versus product management sort of thing, right? So like, yes, development has Scrum. 
And is that product management? Well, you know, Scrum is a project management approach, right? It, it's meant mm-hmm. to be a an agile approach where things are less. I don't want to say less planned, but you know, we, we don't think of doing all the planning up front. It's not a right. plan-driven approach. It's meant to be a uh, flexible approach. Mm-hmm. But my path to all that, right? The when I was leading software development teams in a pre-Scrum age, so the book had not been written yet, and the Agile Manifesto was something that came out just a little bit after this, which you know I read it and went, yes! You know, the, the, this, this is what gets to the core of the issue. The team that I was leading, we had evolved to a very scrum-looking-like thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because I had tried so many other things. And Me too, yeah. There was this great book, I'm trying, maybe Bill McConnell, gosh, this is ancient history, but it was written by a Microsoft employee, super thick book. Microsoft on, Secrets? I don't think it was Microsoft Secrets, but it was, okay. it was just, it, the whole book was about software development life cycles, right? Uh-huh. SDLCs. And full of different approaches and what, uh, you know, his kind of favorite approach I, I may be remembering this wrong, but I, I remember rapid application prototyping was in mm-hmm. kind of a favorite approach. And so I dove into that and got my hands around that and tried to figure out what makes sense for our team to do. And we came up with this two-week sprint-looking sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was in response to what just made sense for us, right? And I wish I would have written a book and uh, mm-hmm. give it a good name, you know, Sprint Development something, right? Right. And we we would not be talking right now, Steve. We I'd be you know on, on the speaking circuit doing something else. Uh, but anyhow, but what I ran into was yeah, that helped us develop, helped us with the projects and the software we're developing, but it didn't inform product management. I still had this hole. And I was running into things that I didn't know about, and I was trying to find answers to them. And it was only much later that I discovered there was actually this discipline called product management that had the answers I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And as you said, a a lot of us came to product management without any formal training in it. We just kind of discovered the holes along the way and tried to find answers to those and figure things out. Yeah, and I think this this gets really to one of the things about – that one of the things that I think a lot about and that I actually worry a lot about is because let's see, and I mean this in a really nice way. I think Scrum, I, I think Scrum is brilliant. I, I believe the Agile Manifesto is brilliant. The execution of Scrum is often at odds, I think, with the intention of Scrum. Mm. Because what I've seen over the last 10 years is product managers becoming ever more part of the dev team. Oh, right. Right, which was yeah. not actually what was intended. I mean, if you read the literature on Scrum, it says the product manager is going to serve as the customer's representative right. with and focus on business. And yet, you know, a conversation I had this week, they were talking about, well, you know, we reorder the backlog depending on what skills are available on the team and who's got bandwidth. And I'm like, when did when did you stop being a product manager and start being a, a development uh, okay, so, manager? So this is a really important topic I, I want to hit on because it's come up a few times for me lately. There, there's all these agile, kind of agile driven, right? They're aligned with the agile community. Tools for selecting the features that are going to go into the next sprint, right? Or just maybe we're doing the planning from the beginning and the features that need to hit a product. And things like Moscow and, and Risk and mm-hmm. you know uh, different ways of, of trying to select these features. And when I look at them, most of them are 
and someone who is in the space will write me and, and set me straight on all this. We're more than welcome to. But I look at them and, and feel like these are really development driven. You know, like one criteria for some of them might be, you know, how long is it going to take? How easy is it going to do be for us to do, right? And mm-hmm. certainly useful things, but missing, at least at the top of the list for me, is what value does this create for the customer? Absolutely. And if I'm looking to select what features we're going to work on, I care very much about what value that's going to be for the customer, and yes, it does matter how how many resources does it take, how long is it going to take for us to do, what's the risk in getting that done, is it easy or not in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But value's got to be <laughs> a going-in criteria for me. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Although, you know what? Now, l- let, me, let me disagree with you j- sure. for the fun of it. I guess I'm a little less interested in value to the customer and more interested in the value of this thing to our business. Okay, so, so what, uh, it's a weird thing for me to say. It's, it's a, a very strange position for me to take, but presumably the things that are on our list came from customers, and 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 there was a huge leap of faith I made there. I know, right? right? You know, I know that the executive team comes in and says, "God spoke to me in a dream, and we've got to have this feature." And a sales guy comes in and says, "I might be able to close this big deal if you commit to this deliverable." So I know there are things on the backlog that have no grounding in reality. But and, when and, and let's just underscore that for some organizations, that is entirely the backlog, right? It, it's, agreed. It's agreed. entirely driven by sales saying, this is what I need for us to be able to meet our quarterly goal. Um, and that's how the organization is driven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, so here's, here's the, 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 the rub. If, if you, it's almost like before I want to consider something in the backlog for prioritization, I'd want to filter on what are the things that are valuable, most valuable to our customers? Let's just, but let's just assume here for a second that the value to our customers is part of the ingesting process. Mm-hmm. And then we look at, of all the things that we could do, which one will benefit us, the company, the most? Mm-hmm. And that, but either way, either, either value to our customer or value to ourselves must be as part of a, a consideration as opposed to how many man weeks is it or how how what is the effort and the argument of the effort thing is you know if you have two things that are equal otherwise do the easy one first because you can sh- ship it sooner right is is the logic but i i, I want to go way back to the beginning of your you know your topic sentence and that was most prioritization methods i've seen are very development centric yes Yes. So I would definitely want us to play up and, and, and the, well, let me keep going. The, the, the schema that I use has both of those things in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How and valuable you, is this to our customers right. and how valuable is it to us? Because if I have two choices, right, it's like I've got a feature that will generate a million dollars, maybe, and I've got another feature that will generate $10. Well, obviously, the one that will generate business for us would be better. Right. You know, even if, it would be maybe the opposite in terms of customer perception of value. Okay, so... I took you way down a real rabbit hole here. Sorry. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week 
with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash rpm. This is a good rabbit hole. So big picture, one thing that comes to mind, you know, when it comes to judging this value for the customer, I do like the the Cano model or Canu. Mm-hmm. I've heard it pronounced both mm-hmm. ways, where we're basically trying to determine if we add a feature, does that create new value for the customer or do they not care or is it even a distraction, right, mm-hmm. to them? And recognizing that provides a lot of important balance. because. Regardless of you know whether you're a, any kind of developer or hardware software, what you're doing, some of us like to polish things, right? We, 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 we that that gold plating problem that we have from from software development until it looks really really good to us, where it may not be adding any more value to the customer. We, we've we've exceeded their expectations and and they don't care anymore. So that's good to recognize because we don't want to waste resources and we certainly don't want to do things that are distracting to them. And so I think that's a useful model to have to kind of guide some decisions. This issue of I put the emphasis on creating value for the customer and at a high level, I feel really good about saying that all the time, Mm -hmm. knowing that if we create value for the customer, we will return value to the organization, right? Customer Mm -hmm. is going to say, hey, we love that thing. You put a price tag on that. We're willing to pay that price because we love it, and you get some value. Now, you dug deeper, which I appreciate, which is uh, this issue of, well, as we're deciding which features to do, and we could even bring this up to maybe which projects we pursue for our portfolio, mm-hmm. where does uh, metrics of, of value to the value, sorry, value to the organization come into play? And I, I don't think I can talk about details of this yet, but there is research that shows that considering the profitability of, of features makes for a much better team outcome overall. The, the, the project is much better, right? I can believe that. Yeah. And so in judging, okay, should we do A or should we do B? You know, which one, let, let, given this umbrella that we mm-hmm. want to create value for the customer, which one's more profitable to us? And uh, that sounds like there's some serious math involved in that decision. Um, may yeah, I guess even if it's more subjective, I don't know, right? I don't want to spend too much time with the analysis, you know, getting down a paralysis problem. But that that is a very reasonable question to to ask. You know, is things being equal, which one's more profitable? Because at the end of it, we do want a sustainable organization, right? And sustainability, it, it most people will, when we talk through this clearly, will agree it has to start with profitability because if the company no longer exists, we're not taking care of employees, we're right. not taking care of customers, we're not taking care of the environment and the planet. Mm-hmm. So we care about that profit. I agree. And, you know, that's where I kind of went off on my diatribe a moment ago. It's like, you know, I've certainly in my past had uh, like user group meetings where they're like, you know, we want to vote 
on the popularity of various features on your roadmap. And, you know, I'm like, you know, there are games, right? There's like, you know, here's $100, spend it on the features you want. But I often feel that in the past, I've gotten a lot of requests of things that they say, you know, we're not willing to pay extra for this. We just want it at, you know, in the next time, next time you get a chance to, to right. build something, right? As opposed to looking at things saying, well, you know, this one thing could generate a lot of revenue for us. Mm-hmm. Going, for instance, taking our product into a whole new market. Right. Our existing customers will resist that. They won't explicitly, you know, but they're like, we don't want you, we couldn't care less if you add this feature that helps me appeal to a new market. They want all of the investment to go on on things that they care about. Right. Yeah. And they may view that as, uh, you know, you're going to dilute the service to us by pursuing that Mm -hmm. new thing. Right. And frankly, they're they're probably right. Probably right. Well, I mean, yeah. At the beginning of this year, Zoom woke up one day and found out that every teacher in America was trying to use Zoom, which it was never intended for. And over the next few weeks, they're like, okay, wait, we've got to put in all sorts of security and protection and passwords because people have been doing bad things in Zoom sessions with teachers. And I find all of them irritating. I didn't need any of that. I didn't have people jumping in on my sessions and sharing screens that they shouldn't be sharing. So they've gone into a whole new market segment with, well, by accident, really. They had in, it's not that they targeted teachers. It's that teachers said, well, this looks like a really good tool and it's something affordable, yeah. right? And so they built a whole bunch of stuff for, for teachers that actually distract me um, mm. or annoy me. You know, they're now making a password mandatory. And I'm right. like, I, I don't need that. But I understand that they do. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I understand that all too well because I was conducting a very important meeting with the customer and there were 15 of us in the Zoom meeting and we got Zoom bombed. Oh, did you? And it was exceptionally embarrassing. And I started using passwords optionally at that point, And then, you know, now, now Zoom requires them. So, yeah, that was interesting. So in the case of adding passwords, that generated no extra revenue for Zoom. Right. Right. Uh, however, it increased and, and an customer satisfaction. for a lot of customers. Indeed. But those that had problems, we appreciated it. Yep. Indeed. So if they had a choice of doing that or doing something else, you know, probably given their prioritization at the time, it's like, well, we've got to deal with our net promoter score. We've got to deal with you know, kids and teachers and all Mm -hmm. that. So we have to do it for the good of humanity. But how many things are on their roadmap right now going, you know, waiting for security phase to be done so that we can, for instance, I'd love to have a way of having the, our pictures in zoom be larger and our slides be smaller. Mm. That'd be a super feature Mm -hmm. so that I, I don't have to constantly be switching from full screen to slide screen to camera screen, whatever. But, you know, they're not going to do that until they got the security thing worked out. Right. Yeah, I ha- have learned a lot more about Zoom than, than I uh, ever expected and need to know uh, to try to make things work better. I will give Zoom huge credit. You know, you and I have been using it for a long time, right? And mm-hmm. I, I was Very a... Very happy user, yes. I was an early adopter when, when they were uh, first coming out and paid attention to the, kind of the pedigree, right? Where, where they came from and like, okay, these, these people are going to maybe get this right. Because you and I have used all the, the mm-hmm. web conferencing type collaboration tools. 
And as I like to say, Zoom is the one I dislike the, the least. And I actually like it qu- quite a lot. I but do too. before this, that was usually my criteria. is like, okay, which one is going to screw up the least and I'll use it? Hey, isn't, well. that, isn't that Apple's magic? Is they look at something where everybody says, you know, I'm fundamentally dissatisfied. <laughs> you know, I've got this tool that, you know, I have to use, but I'm not that thrilled about it. And then Apple comes along and says, well, what if, what if we just did that one thing correctly? You know, what right. if we created the whole product or what if we created something that was a little bit more elegant? And in some ways, I suppose, I suppose um, other companies have done that as well. But I think Apple's really well known for taking something where, you know, we're, we're just not thrilled. It's not, you know, we, we use the tool like virtually every ERP solution. You use the tool mm-hmm. under duress. And if it wasn't horrible, wow, wouldn't that be nice? Right. Yeah. But what, you know, it isn't horrible is, is an interesting development theme. Let's make our product so people don't say it's harm. <laughs> right. Much better. Yes. And Zoom's ability to scale during this just has been ph- amazing. Phenomenal. I, I fully yeah. expected it to, to break and have seen very few problems. So mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. Apple's interesting, right? So I think many people enjoy admiring Apple and for good reason. That decision to have the closed ecosystem that mm-hmm. does help them control the user experience. It does. And may, increases the likelihood that it's not going to be an experience that you uh, just tolerate, right? At the same time, it, you know, from a product management perspective and thinking about the overall strategy, it could limit the channels you have, the partners you can work with, and you know, having a closed system might limit growth. And this is all in Apple's history, right? So the, mm-hmm. when, when Jobs left, they actually did open it up, and there were Mac clones and things like that. And um, and they shut that down as soon as he came back. Yes. And he provided a new focus mm-hmm. to make it. And there were advantages of that. And I think for any, you know, a key advantage was kind of that exclusivity, right? People desired it more, which let them charge higher prices, maybe compared to competitors and increase profit margin, which makes them approaching to be a whatever it is now company. I think they doubled in the last two years what their market value is. But those are challenging strategic decisions to make as product managers, Right, And I know most product managers aren't typically involved in those decisions, but these are product management decisions. Right? Yes. Jobs was a product manager. And challenging to think about, okay, what channels are you going to use? Who are going to be your partners? Who are going to be mm-hmm. your distributors? And there's some tools that I like to help in, with that in the beginning. One of my favorite ones is the Lean Canvas, mm-hmm. which is inspired. So Ash Mariah took, made that as an inspiration from the business model canvas. Mm-hmm. And the business model canvas talks more clearly about partners and things, but I find the lean canvas works really well for product people because it's focused too. on solving a, it's focused really on creating a product, right? What, right. Who's your customer? What problem are they having? What solution are you going to provide? And that helps us kind of early on start thinking about some of those topics and kind of preparing people to, that they should be on our radar, right? And mm-hmm. think through. But you know, what, what you're describing, which I love is now we're talking about the part of product management that development never sees. True. Right? It's all the stuff that happens beforehand. Yeah. Right? So before, if in the planning work that I do with teams, you know, before we get into backlog and, you know, features and stories and any of that nonsense, it's, 
wait, what is this thing that we're building? Who is mm-hmm. it for? Who is going to use it? Who is going to buy it? Where are the costs going to come from? Where's the revenue going to come from? You know, what is the, the fundamental business that we're building here? Yeah. And what I find in most organizations is they actually have too many ideas. Mm. So a business canvas or a lean canvas give us a good apples to apples comparison that we can mm-hmm. say, you know what, here are 11 things we want to do. Yeah. Let's identify which one or two we can do with the resources we have now. And then we're ready to start moving further in. You, you may know that I'm, I'm uh, part of a, an initiative called the, well, the Quartz Framework, mm-hmm. Quartz Open Framework. I said it wrong. The Quartz Open Framework. And it, it basically is just a simple planning metaphor of, you know, before you start describing things, spend time doing discovery. You know, spend personal face-to-face time with real people who are likely to buy your product and understand their problem. And then before you get into personas and priorities and stories, get commitment from your leadership team that says, yes, if, you know, I think that's a really good idea. I authorize you to go forward and waste other people's time because the next step is for me to, you know, flesh out that business plan or that, that canvas into maybe the next level of detail. I'm going to have to talk to the VP of sales, the VP of marketing, the VP of development. And let's get a commitment to that before we move down into stories and personas and use scenarios and acceptance criteria. And while development is creating and, you know, product managers and product owners certainly spend a great majority of their time in working with development during the creation. But guess what? We've got to be thinking about how to launch it too. Mm-hmm. The end of development, uh, I like to say, release is the end of development, but launch is the beginning of marketing. Yep. And those are two different things. So if the product manager is also responsible for launching, then they have to start preparing for delivery to the market and empowering the sales and marketing team to connect with the market. And as we connect with the market, guess what? We discover more things. Yeah. So we keep cycling through that six-step model, and learning is at the core of the model. Yeah. And every time there's a handoff in the organization between the people involved in those phases, those stages, like if we just have, and every organization calls these terms differently, right? So sometimes it's product development that gets us up to launch. Sometimes it's product management. Regardless, someone gets us the product ready. And then if we just throw it over to marketing to do the launch, Every time there's a handoff, we lose efficiencies and mm-hmm. work is much, uh, the outcome is not nearly as good as it could be and it takes longer. And you're talking, I want, want to go back to the, the too many ideas, too many projects thing. Okay. Uh, every organization I know deals with this, right? They have more projects going on than they actually have resources to pull off. Mm-hmm. And there are some consultants out there that specialize in lean and they're, the main thing they do is say, okay, to create more value in your organization, we're going to take these two projects and and throw the majority of resources at them. So instead of them being done in two years, they're going to be done in six months. Mm-hmm. And the executives you know, aren't too sure about this, finally get convinced it's a good idea. And then in six months, they see the benefit of having done that, right? That we can actually generate revenue faster and we're focused on most important things. And so that notion of, of being really judicious about selecting projects, you know, I forget the number you shared, but let's say we have, have 11 potential projects. Mm-hmm. They can all be great ideas. 
right? They could yeah. all be really great well, ideas. Well, and that's the problem. But isn't it? They're all great ideas. Let's figure out this kind of goes back to value for the customer and value for the organization. Mm-hmm. Which one or two really needs our attention that we need to get done as soon as we can to create the most value for everyone? Exactly. And part of that, so to who, where, where do we get our ideas, right? Where, where, where mm-hmm. does this come from? And you mentioned earlier, you know, in Scrum that the product manager is getting pulled more to be uh, tied more closely with development often. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we have, uh, a lot of times we have organizations that have now a product owner role and the product management role kind of has disappeared, right? Yes. And there was this notion in the Agile Manifesto and for anyone that did extreme programming back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the tenets there was, and it still is with Scrum, is that the customer sits with you, right? Mm -hmm. That you, you in extreme program, you literally have the customer sitting with you, which I found was a really good practice when you could pull it off because now not only did you have me and my role as a product manager interacting with the customer, you had the development team hearing it firsthand Hearing firsthand, along with the passion, about why the customer hated something or why they mm-hmm. needed something. Mm-hmm. And that, that tend to motivate the development team more, you know, with that mm-hmm. firsthand contact. But now, the too often, we've, we've moved away from that firsthand knowledge of what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. And it's coming in through diluted channels. Right. Agreed. Like as you you said it much better about the the uh, God speaking to the executive in the dream or something, but you know the executive pet project that comes along, or the salesperson that says you know we need this for our to mm-hmm. meet our objective this quarter, which are not necessarily bad sources. They're but not, yeah, they're not bad, but they're not comprehensive. Right. Right. I talk to a guy is not a completed research study. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a data point. It's like, cool, that seems really, really cool. Let's find out if there, anybody else has that problem before right. we commit to deliver on it. Yeah, And, and I think sad. there's also a shift of, not a shift, but uh, in some organizations, there's an orientation in sales and professional services that what we've built is Legos, not products. Yep. And so, all, so it's, it seems to me that Everybody feels that their job is hard and everybody else's job is easy. So the salespeople go out and they do what they believe to be the hard job of finding somebody who's holding money. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and say, I found a guy who, who's holding money. And what you need to do is assemble your Lego blocks into a Millennium Falcon. <laughs> right. uh, and, and you're like, but we don't, we don't have any little people yet. So we're going to have to you know, build little people. And then we're going to have to license them from Star Wars and Disney. And they're like, oh, you're bothering me with the details. I've got this guy holding money, right? Right. right. So there's either an orientation that says we're going to build a product and then sell it, or we're going to sell it and then build it. And if we, if we do the second one, that means we have to have built a very comprehensive Lego set. Yep. Absolutely. But we're- I think I derailed you on, on the point you were trying to get to. Um, Customer discovery, yeah, no, the, firsthand the, the, experience with the market. All these topics relate together. The yeah. you know, and the quality of the ideas. Often we have all really good ideas, and so we have to be judicious to say what can we bring to market the fastest because that's in everyone's best interest, and we pursue right. that. And where those ideas come from, you know, the the executive's pet project, the the sales need. You mentioned this before. You know, we also have to assess: is that a problem that people are willing to pay for? Or right. are they willing to wait for that feature later? Mm-hmm. You know, something they want. 
and I've and seen. I think it's Marty Kagan who says, you know, the pro the 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 product idea has to be like possible. I maybe I'm going to misquote him here. It has to be technically possible. Yeah, there's the feasibility. It has to be issue. important to our buyers, but it has to be feasible for yeah. us as a business, right? Because you know, even nonprofits are not in the no profit business. I mean, they right. have to have some money to pay for stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to be, be judicious about choosing products, mm-hmm. projects, and doing ones that create value. Gosh, there and was one way of thought. getting there is to say, how many projects do you have that you're willing to devote a half a million dollars worth of resources to? Mm. You're going to need a product manager. You're going to need a dev lead. You're going to need a UX person or at least half a UX person. The dev lead is going to have to have two or three or four developers. So every time you say, I want to take on that project, I want to see you write a check for half a million dollars or else you're not committed. And what happens is we say, well, let's do that. And we'll just use our existing resources because they're not that busy. Well, except that they are. They are, right. And And I have a a rule that I call the, the road mapping conundrum which is we allocate 100% of our resources to our roadmap and then use the other 100% of our resources for special projects. <laughs> I like your math. Yeah. So we do need a way, right? So, so we've got feedback from executives who were brilliant, who started the company. You know, that first product was the, you know, the founder's uh, baby. Yep. Well done, right? But then the founder becomes immersed in being president, you know, running the company. And so where do the subsequent ideas come from? And I was talking to a team recently and they said, very much made that point. And I was so delighted that the president realized it. The president said, the first idea was an accident. You know, I came up with this thing. A lot of people bought it. I've got the tiger by the tail, but I'm so busy with the operations of this company. I need somebody else to find the next idea. Mm-hmm. And they were looking to bring in product management to do that. And so product manager, you know, does customer discovery and says, let's go out and talk to those existing customers and see what other problems we are able to solve for them. Yeah. Because salespeople are right. It's easier to sell a second thing to a satisfied customer than it is to find a customer that you've never done business with before. And so, yeah, we need to prioritize the list of things that we're going to do. And actually, I have some techniques for that. Then we have to get that into the hands of the developers. But when we have to look beyond that as well to how are we going to get it in the hands of the salespeople and ultimately the customer? Good. Okay. So lots of other places we could go, but (laughs) we should probably uh, wrap up in a sense uh, just to keep the time of this episode reasonable. Um, But let me ask Next uh, week, a six-hour seminar, that's right. a six-hour uh, <laughs> podcast with, with Chad Unscripted Steve. with Steve and Chad continues. Okay, but let's wrap up with one question that came to mind. Okay. If, if you had the magic wand, or uh, as I have been re-watching uh, Warehouse 13, so any Warehouse 13 fans out there, if you have the artifact that, that lets you just change an organization, what would be the key, one key thing that you would do to help improve product management in an organization? Totally off the cuff. Yeah. I wish that after all this time, I I wish that it was recognized as a profession. Mm. You know, it seems like everybody's pretty clear in what development is. And everybody's pretty clear in what sales is. Except, you know, 40%, I'm told, 40% of salespeople or 40% of salespeople's time is creating their own marketing materials. Mm. So... 
apparently we don't know what sales is about, right? When I was in sales, it was selling stuff we had to people who wanted to buy it. And yet we didn't have good materials. So I made my own. Right. So I'm, at, I'm part, of, part of the, you know, 40% of my time on a, creating a sales playbook. It seems to me that the training vendors in this space have not done a really good job of, of saying, here's what a product manager is. And so what's happened is Scrum and Agile in general has come along and said, well, we'll tell you what it is Mm -hmm. since nobody else will. And that is we want you sitting next to developers reading aloud from Jira. We want you to be sitting next to the developers all day long and somehow also aware of what's going on in the market. So uh, an official foundation, you know, yeah. the, 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 you can't really get a degree in product management at the moment. If anyone, you can in a few places. It's just now, starting to show up, right? But it's just starting to show up. Yeah. That's what I would wish for, a yes. professional nature or a professional definition of product management, yes. which I would be striving for as my lifelong girl, goal. And if anyone is listening that wants to start a program at their university for product management with my university professor hat on, let me know. I'll be glad to help you get that done. So Sounds super. I've talked with a few schools and would love to see something move forward because uh, I think it's needed, badly needed. It is needed. So. Okay, so mine, I, I could go in a very deep esoterical direction <laughs> or I mean, I'll, I'll keep this very simple, which ties in a thing that we talked about throughout this, which is spending time with customers. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And I... You can't do product management if you don't spend time with customers. Yeah. And, and the sweet spot I've seen in many surveys seems to be about 30% of time. And mm-hmm. I know very few product managers that are, can say, yeah, routinely a third of my time is with customers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, that's a... It doesn't happen. A whole day. That's, I mean, that's more than a whole day. It's almost yeah. two days. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of conversations yeah. and Zoom meetings. And when exactly. we can be back out doing uh, observations and visiting customers, and those are all important things. Indeed. And the reason for that is that's where the ideas come from. That's how we understand the customer yeah. problem. And we come up with that better drives ideas. innovation. Yeah. And that's right? how you drive innovation. Right. And it is, is that deeper understanding that sets good companies apart from really great companies. Right, uh, they, they get the insights that others don't get. So, Agreed. so make that okay. happen, everyone. <laughs> Let's make that happen. So, this was Stephen Chad unscripted. <laughs> Welcome to the three hundredth episode of this podcast. Over five years now, going on our sixth year very soon. Congratulations! Um, I don't thank you very much. And I was trying to find some data. I couldn't come across anything on how many podcasts survive after you know, like five or six years or something, but. Not that many. Not and that the, many. The one claim to fame here is there have been a few people talking about product management and podcasts longer, mm-hmm. but this is the longest running weekly oh. show. So that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad uh, glad to be able to talk with people like you, Steve, and for you to bring your expertise to this group that you have now. I don't know how many times you've been on. I think this might be mm, the fourth three. time. Or, yeah. Three or four times. So, and it, this was fun to do the completely unscripted. Hope listeners enjoyed it. Who knows what you pulled out of this? But, <laughs> uh, hope it was good. Steve, you do have a number of resources to help people figure some of these issues out, like you mentioned, resources for selecting features. Mm. Where can people find out more about you? Well, I have lots of great free information on my website at under10consulting.com, under10consulting.com. Under10consulting.com, and that link will be in the show notes to make that easy for people to get to. 
Steve, cool. thanks for joining me for our 300th episode. Glad to do it. Enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so that you'll create products that customers love. That was a great discussion with Steve. I always enjoy talking with him. And anytime we do, whether we're recording or we're not, we come up with uh, some great concepts and wanted to share those with you this time as well. So thanks for listening. Find all the resources I talked about earlier, a detailed summary of the discussion, along with that action guide to help Help you take action now on some of the key concepts at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 300. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.